I want you to take your Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. And I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Genesis chapter 7. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this time that we have. Lord, you are good. Thank you, Lord, for providing us with the space. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, enabling us to worship you in freedom and in truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would lead and guide us this morning as we seek to understand more about you, our covenant-keeping God and Father. And so we praise your name. May you receive all glory and praise. Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, I want you to think about uh, one of the most popular names, boys' names, in Ireland uh, last year. Most popular boy name in Ireland last year was Jack. That name has been the number one name since 2007. Only in 2016 was it replaced by James for one year, and then Jack took the number one spot. That's the first name in Ireland. But the second name, second boy's name in Ireland, do you know what it was? The second most popular boy's name in Ireland last year was the name Noah. The name Noah was the second most popular boy's name in Ireland last year. Now, what does that tell us? That tells me something if Noah was the second most popular name in Ireland last year. That tells me that people in Ireland know something about Noah. They know something about Noah's story. They know something about Noah's account. They know something about him. And this morning, there are many of us here that know something about Noah. In general, all of us kind of know his story. And there's three things, I think, that we remember about Noah's story. Most of us, when we think about Noah, what do you think when you think about Noah? You think about a boat, don't you? When you think about Noah, this is not complicated now. When we think about Noah, we think about a boat. What else do we think about when we think about Noah? Animals. Animals. We think about animals, don't we? And we think about water. There's a few things. When you think about Noah, you just think about boats and animals and water. But that's not the whole story, is it? When we think about the story of Noah, we need to think about the covenant of God. And when we think about the story of Noah, I think what people think most often is, you know, a cute little boat with cute little animals, and we tell our children the story about Noah and the animals on the boat when they go to bed at night. I would tell you it's probably not a good bedtime story if you tell it properly. It's probably a good nightmare story if you tell it properly. Because what has actually happened in the account is something devastating. And I know for us, it's, it's kind of a weird place to start, but here in the new building and everything's happy, I'm going to talk this morning about the whole world being destroyed by a flood. Not because it's necessarily where I wanted to go on our first morning, but because it's where we need to go when we think about the covenants of our Lord and King. And so what I want us to remember is the tragedy of what happened in the time of Noah. Here's the tragedy, and we don't want to avoid it. 
Genesis chapter 7, verse 22. Genesis 7, verse 22. It says this. This is the result of the flood. Everything on dry land, in whose nostrils was the breath of life, he, God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and and creeping things and, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. What was the result of this flood? The result of this flood, whether we like it or not, the result of this flood is that everything that had breath was absolutely destroyed. It is a tragedy. But I would say it is quite tragic for us not to learn from this tragedy. This past week was the anniversary of 9-11, when those planes crashed into the Twin Towers in New York. It was a tragedy. But what would have been even more tragic would be this, if we didn't learn from it, right? If we just ignored it and brushed it under the carpet and, and, and said, let's not learn from this tragedy, that would be a mistake. And so it is equally a mistake for us to look at the flood and, and just think about the beautiful animals and the boat and whatever and not learn from the tragedy because we need to learn something this morning. And so the first thing I think we learn from this account is it's actually quite heavy. And we need to start there. The first thing we learn from this account is we learn about our sin. We learn about humanity's sin. I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, and this tells us of the reasoning behind the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Here's what we must learn about our sin. Verse 5 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Here in these verses is the reasoning for the flood. And it's not something that makes us feel comfortable. But again, when we look at this tragedy, we must learn this reality. The reason the Lord God brought the flood was because of the wickedness of man. And verse 5 tells us when we think about sin, we shouldn't just think about sin in terms of the actions that I do outside of me. Okay, the actions that I do outside of me, that is what is bad. But when you look at verse 5, it actually tells us where the sin problem starts. It says in verse 5 that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What was the problem with man? It wasn't man's external action. It wasn't humanity's external action. The actual problem, it says, in these verses is their heart. Our external sin problem, our external actions, the bad things we do outside of us, show us that we have a problem with our heart. 
And this is something that Jesus taught all the time. Jesus, whenever Jesus was with the Pharisees, Jesus never minced his words when he was talking to the Pharisees. He spoke truth to them. And what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, he speaks to the Pharisees and he says this to them, you brood of vipers. Imagine saying that to someone. This is Jesus. He looks at the Pharisees. He says to them, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what Jesus is saying there is the the words and actions that we do, they're not outside of us. Jesus is saying it's actually a problem with our heart. And this is the very same problem they have here in Genesis. And in case we miss it, it's repeated again. Genesis chapter 6 verse 11. The sin problem of man. Now, it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And when God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Do you hear the word that's repeated three times? Corrupt, corrupt, Corrupt? I know we're innocent. We're innocent. I mean, people were generally innocent. No, corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. The reason there was the flood on the earth was because of the sin problem of man. And you recognize that in every single facet of life, we have a problem as humanity, don't we? You know, when I was traveling this summer, as I was traveling this summer, you know, you go through airports. And as you go through airports, what do you need to go through? You need to go through security. And you walk in, you hand your passport in, they see your passport. Then you go in, you, you take your bag out, and then you have to open up your bag and get rid of all your electronics. They want you to get rid of all your electronics. Then you have to take your belt off. Then you have to take your, your shoes off. And then you have to put it all on the belt. And then you have to walk in like cattle to the slaughter through this like metal detector and you kind of stroll in you're kind of half naked because your pants are falling down and everything's going wrong and then you come and this is what happened to me absolutely frustrated I walk in the bag comes through and then he says can we check your bag and he comes over and he asks me the question that honestly it's the most stupid question there is he asks me he comes to me and says do you mind if I open up your bag To which I want to say, yes, I do mind, but I can't say what I really think. So he opens up the bag and he checks all that stuff. And then I thought to myself, why on earth do we have to do this all the time? Why, every time I travel, do I have to do this? Let me tell you why. Because humanity is corrupt. It is because of sin we have to do this. You can't trust everybody on this earth. Why? Because there's sin in the heart. If you don't have the security, you're going to get in trouble. This is the problem for all of us. And it is not just the problem out there, the terrorists and all the evil people. It's the problem with all of us. The Bible is clear. It says this, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus didn't come because all of humanity was perfect. Jesus came because all of us have a problem and we need it solved. And if we're going to learn anything from this account, we need to learn of our sin. 
And the second thing we have to learn from this account is not only of our sin, but we also need to learn of God's just judgment. Here is what we have in this account, God's just judgment. And there is something that we all want in life, and we all recognize that we want it in life. We all want justice. You know, I was watching this documentary recently, and it was of this, this, this court case that was happening, and this guy was up for um, murder. And in the court case, you had the defense and the prosecution, and they were all fighting for something. Both believed. One believed he was entirely innocent, and the other group believed he was entirely guilty. And they fought for that. What were they fighting for? They were fighting for justice. All of us in that courtroom that day, if we were to look on that case, we would say, we want the just and the right thing to happen. We want judgment to take place. That's what happens. We want this judgment. We want God to be just at the end of the day. And when he destroys those on the face of the earth by the flood, we cannot ignore that. He does so by his justice. And there are two things I think we need to remember in relation to this judgment. The first thing I think we need to remember is found in Genesis 7.22. Turn to Genesis 7.22. We read it at the start, but look at it. Genesis 7.22 says this, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. That's a really strange way of phrasing it, isn't it? Everyone in whom there was breath in the nostrils, they died. What we need to remember in this account is those who are destroyed by the flood are those who were and are created by God himself. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it talks about the creation of God, and it uses that same language. Genesis 2, verse 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Lord God breathed the breath of life into man, and the Lord God if he so chooses, can take the breath of life out of man. He didn't owe us life. He gave us life by his grace. And one of the things we need to remember in this account, when he judges people, he is judging his own creation. He knows what to do, and he's doing what is right. The second thing we need to remember is he's not only judging his own creation, but he's also judging guilty people. The passage is made clear. The evil in their hearts. When we look at this account, we're not looking at innocent people who do not deserve it. We're not the ones who can say, they were all innocent, God, why did you do that? We're not the creator. He knows the heart. He knows the heart of every single person. You see, when you come in here this morning, I see all of you externally. We see only people externally. But God, when he sees us, he sees us internally. He sees every part of us. 
He knows our every thought. He knows our every word. He knows our every action. And so our God, he is the right to judge. So we must learn about our sin. And we must learn about God's judgment. But you know what often happens with this account? We often just stay there. When people start to learn of this account for the first time and look at it really what the Bible is saying, they say, okay, there's sin. Okay, there's judgment. And they make the account all about sin and judgment, and that's it. But that would be a mistake. Because what this account teaches us is something about our God. This account tells us that our God, he is perfectly and gloriously patient. That's what the flood teaches us, that he is patient. And you might read it and say, Shane, I don't really see patience here. But it's true. It's here and it's in the account. The Apostle Peter, when he was writing about the flood, when he was writing about this reality, he said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, here's what he says about the flood. He begins by saying, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he meant in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the waters. This account tells us a few things. It tells us of Christ's suffering and death in our place. This is why Christ came, because there was a sin problem. And he died, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's what Peter wants us to get in our head. So he talks about Christ in these verses. And then he also talks about the, the spirits in prison in these verses. And I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But I did talk about that when we preached through the passage in 1 Peter. So if you're really interested in that, you can look it up online. But what I want us to see is not only Christ and the spirits in prison, but look at what it says. Because, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. The flood tells us that God is patient. How long did it take him to make the ark? Well, when you read the account, some you could say 120 years. Some could say 100 years. Some could say maybe slightly less than that. But let's say it was 100 years to make the ark. All that while, all the people had an opportunity to repent. They had an opportunity to turn from their ways. God was patient. They were evil continually, and God could have just wiped out the earth in one moment, and he would have been justified to do so. But he was patient. For over a hundred years, there was time for them to repent. God is patient with us. When you think about it, that God, he knows everything about me. 
He knows everything about me. He even knows my motives that I'm not even good at figuring out. I can't suss that out. And he knows that. And yet, he still allows me live. He still allows me breathe. I'm as guilty as they come. I'm not just talking about you now. I'm talking about me. I'm as guilty as they come. And yet God, in his glorious patience, lets me live. That's amazing. God is patient with us. There is a judgment day that is coming. And every single one of us here, every single one of us, will stand before our maker. You will. And until that day comes, God is being patient with you. And he is giving you an opportunity right now, right now today, to repent and trust in him. This flood tells us of God's glorious patience. And we should not ignore it. You know, God's patience isn't only good for us individually, but it's also good as we think of the people that we love. You know, maybe you have people in your life that you love and you just want them to know and love Jesus. Your husband, your wife, your children, your relatives, your brothers, your sisters, I have them. People, I just want to know and love Jesus. I want them to know him. But here's a glorious truth that I know. My God, he is patient. He's patient. And he will deal with them justly. He is the righteous judge. He's good. That's what this account tells us. It tells us of God's patience. We need to learn that. But it also tells us of God's grace. This account is a great picture of God's grace. People only see judgment and sin, but we have to see God's grace in this. Notice if you turn back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 7. Here is where we see a picture of God's grace. Genesis chapter 6, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man in whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That verse is God's grace. But Noah. Favor here is the word for grace. We see God's grace in God favoring Noah above everybody else on the planet. And you might read on in verse 8 as to why. You know, in in verse 9, it says this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, a blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. So maybe God favored him just because he was righteous and blameless and walked with God. But when you think of righteousness, where does that come from? That comes from God. He's righteous because of God. When you think of blameless, that doesn't mean that Noah was perfect. That means that when you looked at Noah's life generally, you couldn't, accuse, you couldn't bring an accusation against him. 
And Noah, he did walk with God. But was Noah perfect? No. Noah was not perfect. If you just go down at the end of Noah's story, in Genesis chapter 9, do you know where we find Noah? In Genesis chapter 9, we find Noah drunk and naked in a tent with his sons. This man was not a perfect man. The moment you think someone's perfect in the Bible, just keep reading on and you will see that their story is not a picture of perfection. So, so Noah, he was not a sinless man. God gave his grace upon Noah, even though Noah did not ultimately deserve it. So Noah was favored. This is a sign of God's grace. And then if you turn on to Genesis chapter 7, verse 20. Uh, 3, Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, it says again, he being God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Now think about that if you're Noah and his family. Here you are in the ark for 150 days. Day two, I'm thinking, God, where are you? Day eight, I'm thinking, Lord, what are you doing? Day nine, are you still trusting in the Lord? Day 20, how are you feeling? 40, how are you feeling? 60, how are you feeling? 80, how are you? I'm going to be asking God at day 80, Lord, what are you doing here? Where are you? Day 90, day 100, day 120. Day 149, I'm going to be on my knees going, God, what are you doing here? And day 150 comes. And then chapter 8, verse 1 comes. But God remembered Noah. That's God's grace. God didn't forget him. God favored him, and God remembered him. God never forget him. Where would Noah be without that wonderful phrase? Without that wonderful phrase, but God. But God. Do you know where Noah would be without that wonderful phrase, but God, in the same place we would be without that wonderful phrase, but God? Let me read to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Just listen to this. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the way we lived. Carrying out the desires of the body. That's what we used to do. And the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is who we were. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That phrase, but God speaks of the grace of God. And for every Christian, that phrase is precious. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. So we see God's grace in that he favored Noah, in that he remembered Noah, and also in that he accepts Noah. 
chapter 8, verse 20. Look at chapter 8, verse 20. After the flood, it says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Who's left? It's just Noah left and his family. And he's still saying that about the heart of man. <laughs> Noah's not perfect. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains in seed time and harvest, cold and heat and summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The Lord accepts Noah. Noah comes and he brings an offering. And the Lord accepts that offering as a pleasing aroma. Not because of Noah, but because of the offering. We must learn from this devastating flood of the grace of God. And that makes a difference in our lives. It really does. Let me tell you how. Do any of you remember Friday? Any of you remember Friday this week? Friday this week was one of the most depressing and dreary days there was in this week. I'll be honest with you, that was a hard day for me to get up. You know those days? Dark, dreary, about as depressing as it's going to get. Our room, our bedroom, it was reading 28 degrees. It's now reading 18 degrees. You wake up, it's cold, it's dark, it's depressing. And more of those months are coming our way. And many of us, just calling a spade a spade, we're going to feel low. We're going to feel downcast, disheartened, depressed. That happens to many of us. You're not alone in that if that's you. It's many of us. What do we do in those moments? Do you know what often happens to us in those moments? We believe lies in those moments when we have those dark days. We believe I'm not loved. My life doesn't matter. Life is hard. We believe all of these lies. What I would encourage you to do when you are believing those lies is replace those lies with the truth of God's grace. Because what was true for Noah, it is true for you if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means you are favored. On those days, you remember you have God's grace in your life and you are favored and you do not deserve it. You remember that on those days. On those days, you remember that you are remembered by God, that God has not forgotten you. You, you feel like on those days, just like Noah in the ark, day 10 is here, God, where are you? Day 20 is here, God, where are you? 80, I'm in this, this gulf of depression for however long. Where are you, God? God is remembering you, and I believe he's even remembering you in this moment. He's telling you even right now, I haven't forgotten you, my son, my daughter. I'm with you. 
And do you know what else is true? God, just like Noah, He accepts you. Not on the basis of you and what you have done, but on the basis of sacrifice. The sacrifice of His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which was a pleasing aroma to Him. And because of that, you and I who have trusted in Jesus don't have the death that we deserved. We learn of God's grace. And the final thing we learn in this flood is we learn of God's covenant. When is he going to get to covenant? Now. We learn of God's covenant, don't we? Because that's exactly what this promise is that God gives. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. It says this. Here's God's covenant. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is God's covenant. You notice the language in verse 7. Be fruitful and multiply. I've heard that before. Same language with Adam. What's God doing? He's starting again. There is a new Adam, and he's saying to the new Adam, I want you to be fruitful and multiply upon this earth. And then God, he establishes the covenant with him again. And he says, never again, never again, never again. This covenant is a relationship. God forms a relationship. It is by God's choice. God chooses to enter into this covenant. It has promises where God says, never again will I do this. And this covenant has one of the most famous and one of the most spectacular signs that we see on this planet. It is the sign that we see, let's be fair, quite often in Ireland. We are reminded of this covenant over and over and over again. Here is the covenant sign. Chapter 9, verse 12. And God said... This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And all the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all the flesh on the earth. What's the sign of the covenant? You notice in the passage, it doesn't say rainbow, does it? Why doesn't it say rainbow? Rainbow would be nicer, wouldn't it, if it said rainbow? It doesn't say rainbow, it says bow. Why does it say bow? 
Because bow is the war bow. So in the Old Testament, when you have that word bow, it is a war bow. So what happened in the flood? God's war bow was pointed down upon the earth. His destruction was down upon the earth. And what is God doing in this wonderful and glorious sign? God is taking his war bow, and what is he doing? He is turning it upside down and setting it down, and he's saying this, never again. My bow is down. All of you, all of you are going to receive my grace. What? That absolutely blows my mind. Do you know why? Because no matter how much people hate God on this earth, no matter how much they reject him, no matter how much they hate him, no matter how much they disown him, dislike him, whatever they say about him, God says, never again. God has made the promise with all of humanity that I'm going to keep you all alive. And every time we breathe, we experience the common grace of God. That's what that sign means. It is God's war bow. Never again. So what does this covenant tell us? I think this covenant tells us about our failure and God's glorious faithfulness that we do not deserve. God, he is wonderful, and he is good, and he is a good father that we can lean on each and every day. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this covenant with Noah, and we pray that we as your people may remember that you have favored us, that you have lavished your grace upon us, that you have remembered us, that you have accepted us, that you are patient with us, that you have given us a sign to say every single time we see it, never again, the grace of God. Thank you, God. We pray that in the short time that is left with our service, that we'll give you honor and praise that is due your name. In your precious name, amen. I wonder if we could